This is BTS with CTV Behind the Scenes, Behind the Stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver Newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to a staggering loss of life. Ukrainian Airlines flight PS752 to Kiev went down just minutes after taking off from Tehran's main airport. All 176 people on board the Boeing 737 were killed in the crash. More than 50 of them were Canadian citizens, many of the others with ties to our country. Canadians have questions and they deserve answers. When a tragedy like this hits so close to home... This, ladies and gentlemen, is a national tragedy. Journalists are tasked with identifying the victims. They are really good family. And giving voice to their loved ones. I can't even comprehend it. I was so in shock. Even though they're in pain. <laughs> I feel sad for the dreams that my parents had, but they couldn't achieve it. It's like their time was cut short. Among the BC victims identified so far, engineers and doctors, a teacher, a dental hygienist, and a 15-year-old boy. The amount of tragedy is so big that it hit us hard very much, and the whole community is mourning together, regardless of the Persian community, Canadian, Chinese, everyone, everyone is just showing their support. Now as vigils are held across the country, for people like the mortgage specialist and his wife, the dentist from Halifax, we suddenly mourn and miss members of our Canadian family we've never met. Reporter Shannon Patterson joins me now because you were one of the people tasked with telling the stories of local Canadians um, whose loved ones died on that aircraft. It's an incredibly difficult job to try to approach somebody when you know that they've only found out sometimes, you know, even hours ago uh, that they've lost a, a parent or a loved one. It's it's one of the toughest jobs that we do, but your stories just had such sensitivity. And I was feeling verklempt just listening and watching um, these people pouring their hearts out. How hard is that to do? Oh, my God, Penny. I mean, you know, you know how hard this is. And uh it was a uh, very difficult for for all of us here in the newsroom um, to have to contact family members um, the day after such a horrific tragedy. As you said, some of them will have just found out hours ago that they lost a loved one, and in such a shocking way. Um, but the reality is, and you know this, and maybe some people listening don't, there are a, a good chunk of people out there who really want to talk about their loved ones, um, especially I think we find when there's a mass tragedy. Um, I think that they get some healing or they feel some kinship if they share memories of their loved ones. So when I know I need to try to reach out to someone who's lost a loved one, believe me, it is one of the hardest things, not the hardest thing in the job. I tell myself that I'm offering them an opportunity to share whatever they want to share, be it photos, memories, anger if they have anger, sadness, anything they want to share. We're giving them a vehicle to share that publicly if they wish. And if they don't want us to, we simply say, I'm so sorry for your loss and we leave them alone. So that's what I told myself that day uh, as I contacted people is, um, it's what I've told myself through the years about all of these stories too, is that uh, I really can't make their pain worse. Their pain is as bad as it can get. 
and I'm offering them an opportunity to speak if they wish. And if they don't, uh, as a media organization, we make sure we never double call. We make sure if I've contacted a family member, I tell everyone, please don't contact them again. We don't want to harass people, but we want to offer them the opportunity. And that's what we did that day. And I've often heard from people who either turn down interviews, I, you know, you talk to them years later or months later, or, or just even people just watching the news. Um, and, and, you know, they're saying, why are you making this a political story? Why are you making this about, um, you know, geopolitical conflict in the Middle East or whatever? It's, it's really about the victims. It's about people. And it absolutely is. But it's really hard to portray those stories unless people do speak up. And I was really humbled by how open and raw and honest some of the people were in our coverage. Yeah, uh, they. it was incredible to hear from the daughter um, in North Vancouver who lost both of her parents, both of them doctors. Uh, she had actually been in Iran with them. They had gone there for the holidays, but because she had classes, she had to come back early and she had been home for a couple of days. She was supposed to pick them up from the airport. And when she found out what happened, um, one of our reporters here contacted her uh, through her aunt. And um, we heard back that, yes, she wanted to speak. And we sent a crew. And she could not have been more amazing. I feel sad for the dreams that my parents had, but they couldn't achieve it. Like their time was cut short. 19-year-old Kimia Porshaban Oshibi lost her parents, Feruza Madani and Nazar Porshaban Oshibi, in the crash, both doctors who also lived in North Vancouver. I would miss the open conversations with my mom. Uh, we were very close, and like I said, she was very open, so we discussed a lot. And with my dad, we, we had a lot of, I guess, banter. And I would miss that, even though it was very annoying at the time. Stoic and emotional at the same time. It was just one of those interviews that you couldn't look away from. It was so gut-wrenching to hear her talk about what she'd remember most about her mother and how her father and her had a banter that she will miss so much now, but she told me, um, but in the moment it annoyed me. And I just thought that's exactly what someone would say and feel. And it was very raw and emotional to speak to her. I spoke to one of the very close friends of a, a Langara student who died, who was also supposed to pick her up from the airport. She told me her friend was not supposed to be on that plane. They were supposed to be on a flight the day before. And she had a little hiccup with her visa. And she called her and said, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna be on tomorrow's flight. Can you pick me up then? Of course, she said, of course I'll pick you up then. And then she found out the plane crashed. And um, the shock that I felt from her just in person, sitting a few feet from her, she just said, like, she's been so present and physical in my life. How can she not be here anymore? But she wanted to tell me how she loved to volunteer, how she um, came to Canada a few years ago and embraced Canadian culture and was so looking forward to becoming a Canadian citizen that she wanted to move here. She's going to get her master's degree. And she just wanted to share who she was. And I'm glad I gave her that opportunity, even though as I walked out the door, I was emotional myself, as I'm sure you've gone through before. Well, and watching Sinjin, who was, um, you were focused on the on the local victims, he was focused on the Canadian victims, like, you know, across the country. I saw him put his headphones down and he had to walk away from his computer. Like, these are really, really difficult stories to tell, but 
at the end of the day, while we may all be eager to find out, you know, exactly whose decision was it, how did this exactly happen, what it really comes down to is the people and the loss and the type of people that were lost. Because I was really struck, uh, the, the list, when you look at the list of victims, um, engineers, doctors, um, you know, PhD students, like this was a really... Um, highly educated group of people because I know the Iranian community really values education and so you know that it's not just even their close uh, family members and friends who are going to feel this loss it's actually the community these are people who were very many of them were very active and a lot of people would have known them in their community that makes me think of the um, the bakery owners in North Vancouver uh, which was the first victims I learned about personally and I went to this bakery uh, Amir Bakery on Lonsdale, uh, sort of the center of the Iranian community there. And uh, when I found out that he had lost his wife and 17-year-old daughter, I went there and um, as I stood there, uh, a woman came up crying hysterically. And she stood at the door looking inside crying and she dropped to her knees. And she told me how lovely and amazing this family was. they came to Canada and uh, they wanted to run their own business. And so they had just managed to open this bakery. And it was a very, very popular bakery in the Iranian community in North Vancouver. They had a 17-year-old daughter going to the local high school. They, they were the Canadian dream. And the heartbreaking part of that story is uh, the, the wife and the daughter had gone to Iran for the holidays, but Amir stayed behind to run the bakery because he's a good immigrant owner who is not going to let somebody else take over his business. You know that as, as, uh, as the daughter of immigrants who run a business. And um, his wife and daughter were not supposed to be home that early, but he checked his spam email Uh, This is a story one of his friends told me and saw an email from Immigration Canada that their citizenship exam had been moved up. Wow. They had to come back early to become Canadian citizens. And that's why they were on that plane. And when I heard that, I just, oh my God, my heart, that these are people who come to Canada with this dream. You and I take it for granted. We were born here and a lot of people have to fight to get here and they fought to get here and they opened a business and it was embraced by the community and they were coming back here to take that final step to become Canadian citizens and um, the bakery owners just broke my heart. He went back to Iran immediately to try to um, get his, um, his, the body of his wife and daughter and his bakery became a gathering point. I can't even tell you how many flowers and candles and they put banners up, uh, that local Iranian community's beautiful banners with pictures of the victims at that bakery. And I, I was there for quite a long time, um, uh, a cup, for a couple of days and it was very emotional. Um, young and old, people who knew them, people who didn't coming by. Um, this became a gathering place in North Vancouver which has actually the largest Iranian community in Canada. So that community really felt this hard. How much pressure do you feel when you're kind of immersed in that, when people are pouring their hearts out, when you see this um, expression of grief from the community? How much pressure do you feel to, to do it justice and to portray it on the type of emotional scale that it, it really deserves? You know, in the moment, moment, Penny, I just try not to cry. And I have failed at that many times. I've cried many times uh, in situations like this. Um, I just try to let them speak in the moment and um, give them all the time they need, ask questions if I feel I need to ask questions. And once I have the material, 
I feel a tremendous pressure to make sure that I honor their loved ones the way they want to be honored. That's why I always ask, do you have any favorite photographs? I don't want to just take what's on social media because sometimes people don't like what's on social media. So I always ask, do you have any favorite photographs? Like photographs that, that you want people to see them at their best. And so I always ask for that. I always ask, um, what do you want people to know about them? Uh, what, what are your favorite memories? Because, you know, people are always more than just a doctor or an engineer. They're, they're a friend and a neighbor and a loved one. And I love that little uh, story from the daughter who lost her parents about the banter with her dad. I think it's those moments that really hit you, the humanity of it, you know. Uh, we see it from a distance. We see pictures, pictures upon pictures of people who died. But in those moments, you really feel the humanity of those people. And there is a tremendous pressure all of us feel to tell those stories. Um, I think uh, television, more than any other medium, allows those stories to be told uh, in an emotional and poignant way. And it's hard not to, when you're steeped in that all day, it's hard to not take it home. It's hard not to think about it for a few days after. It's a, it's a lingering feeling. And I think it's a very human thing because you're making a connection. I think what sometimes people don't realize when you interview somebody, there is a connection of varying levels, even if you're challenging somebody. In this case, it's trying to help eulogize somebody that they care about. Um, so, I mean, I think our heart is open just as they're opening their heart to us because we want to um, you know have them feel comfortable speaking with us because it is such a difficult time and so I just when people think of us as vultures or say oh you know like look at them like looking to make people cry that's not what it's about it's about at least for us I think um, you and I are really much, very much on the same page with this kind of thing it's it's about expressing the kind of loss it's 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 about what is is gone from this world and can never come back again and i feel um it's like a it's like an obligation almost like a sacred obligation that's part of our job yeah you know we have to go after decision makers and we have to ask tough questions sometimes in this line of work but trust me this this work when we are going to talk to hurting people i never feel um like oh it's a good get you know it's it's all about wow, this person trusted me and now I am going to tell the world about their loss and about what they're going through. Yeah, I, um, I felt a very deep sadness after completing my work um, on those stories. Um, did I take it home with me? Yeah, I did. I live in North Vancouver. Um, uh, it's, uh, these are members of my community. Um, it's hard. Uh, this job is hard um, to not feel sad, but then I always tell myself, how dare I feel sad? I didn't know them. I think of the sadness that their friends and loved ones feel. Um, and like you said, we just want to do it justice. And I'll reiterate, there are definitely people who don't want to speak to the media after they lose a loved one. And that's fine. Like we, we will leave anyone who wants to be left alone alone. I need people to recognize that we are not blindly knocking on doors. Uh, that isn't how this is done. Uh, we reach out. Um, usually through some sort of electronic means first. Uh, if we were able to get a phone number, we reach out on the phone. Um, if anyone for a moment says, I'm not comfortable or please don't call me, that's it. They're on our no-call list. We won't speak to that family again. Um, some pe people want to ask how it will look. I remember the um, one of uh, there was a family of three that died in Coquitlam, um, and he's an engineer, and I spoke to uh, his boss. And I left a message for him, and he called me back, and he said, I've never gone through this before. 
what, what, would, what would this look like? What am I supposed to say? And so some people who are in shock, who've lost friends and loved ones, call us to just ask, like, what am I supposed to do? And I told him um, what others have done in the past, which is sometimes people want to release a written statement that way they can, you know, create their words the way they want to create them. Uh, they, you know, they, they don't feel as intimidated by a television camera in their face. Uh, people are afraid of crying. You and I both know everyone's so afraid they're going to break down. And so I told him sometimes people will release a statement. Sometimes uh, a company will um, assign someone to be a spokesperson. Sometimes families do that too. An uncle or an aunt or someone who's, uh, who's um, able or comfortable speaking to the media. And so I told him that it's completely up to you. Um, I, I said, uh, we will offer you time to speak about him if you wish. And I gave him my number and uh, my contact information and he never called me back and that's okay. It's interesting what you say about a, a written statement because people see that all the time and that's something that we just have to respect. But that day um, I was busy on a different assignment. So at first I was just reading about um, all these interviews and I was reading about um, the people who'd been lost and, and the family experiences and stuff. And it's it's powerful, like it's important to be able to read. And, you know, especially if you've only got a couple minutes between interviews or, or whatever, it's good to be able to catch up on the news like most people do on Twitter or online. But there's just something about seeing that and hearing from people, just the power of video and storytelling. Like, um, you're a veteran TV news reporter. You know how to tell an impactful story. And seeing and listening is just so different than reading it. And that's why I really hope that this medium, in some form, as you know, we, we go through this transition to, to new media, and I really hope it can survive in some form. I think that's why documentaries are powerful. We have that immediate, it, they're shorter stories that we have to turn every day, but um, you get it right away. And I really hope that that survives because there's just nothing quite like it to tug at the heartstrings and just make you feel something. TV is a blessing and a curse for that. You and I both know that. I, we've both, I'm sure, been jealous of the print reporter who can just call someone on the phone and uh, record some quotes, or even a radio reporter who may have to be there in person but doesn't isn't holding a camera, which is very intimidating. We understand how intimidating it is. We of all people understand that. But you're right. Um, we can tell stories in a different way than a newspaper or radio can because of the power of visuals. And so it's a good thing and a bad thing. I think it's the best medium to tell stories, but it's also the hardest. Uh, we get, I think, more flack because of the camera. I don't think people are as critical of reporters who aren't holding a camera. They're doing the same job that we are, but we have to tell it in a visual way. So uh, yeah, I think, um, I, I think we have an obligation in the medium we have to tell those kinds of stories. And we're going to continue to try to tell them this story is far from over. Um, a lot of these family members are going to want to keep talking. Some of them are angry. A lot of them have questions as this investigation goes forward. We sort of know what happened, but now there's talks of compensation. There's talks of what's going to happen now to punish both the regime and the individuals responsible for bringing this, this plane down. So the story is far from over. And when we have connected with family members on the first few days of a tragedy, and if they've trusted us, and if we've told their stories well, if we've done justice to their family members, they stay with us and they call us and they, um, they continue to be a resource as the story moves on so it just shows how important it is to handle these stories with grace and um, with sensitivity on day one and day two because this will be a story on day 100. 
And those emotions change. I mean, the grief and the loss often turns to anger. Uh, there are other discussions, and, and, and I think we need to make sure that our viewers also understand that there is a, an extended grieving process, that people are searching for answers, and we're not letting these stories go. Just because there's not an update a week from now or a month from now doesn't mean we aren't um, vested in telling these stories and making sure that people know whatever happened to you know all these all these stories that we're hearing about these um, what sound like amazing people that are have been lost. Yeah, these these people are gone forever. They weren't just gone for a couple of days on TV. There's holes in families and communities and workplaces where these people used to be. What about the schools that lost children? Um, one of them is in North Vancouver, um, and you know we have colleagues whose children go to that school. And so, no, I mean, th this, this hurt continues for a long time. And um, it, I, I still feel the sadness a week later um, of the people I spoke to. Um, but we, we just have to continue to do our job and tell these stories. And for some people, I think it, it actually helps them a little bit. And so we try to take that with us, that as hard as it is, maybe we've helped them tell a story that's, that's given them a little step towards healing. So. I'll try to, to hold tight to that and, you know, r remember that um, these remembers our community and we, we all miss them and, and we hope that this kind of thing never happens again. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks, Penny. The Prime Minister demanded Iran take a full responsibility and compensate its victims. I am, of course, uh, outraged and... Uh, furious that uh, families across this country are grieving the loss of their loved ones, that the uh, Iranian-Canadian community is suffering. But for many Iranians who from coast to coast organize vigils to remember loved ones, the damage is done. It's a really deep wound. It doesn't really heal anything. We are just looking forward to investigation. To be honest, it doesn't matter at this point if it's a mistake or if this is an accident. The main thing is just I lost my 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 loved one. I just I lost my sister. I lost my brother-in-law, and uh, I lost my uh, nephew. Uh, he was only 15 years old. Thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. And I hope you'll check out my colleague Binder Sudgeon's Lady at the Ledge podcast combining politics, current events, and Binder's smart and sassy take on the big issues of the week. Is there a topic you'd like me to cover on a future episode of this podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daphlos. Daphlos.